shoots, scores! The patented wrist shot from Elias Pedersen finds its way past Stuart Skinner into the top shelf. And the Canucks lead 4-1. If you give him room, he's going to make you pay. And that's exactly what Elias Pedersen does. Let's hope we get a few of those tonight, huh? Not just the Canucks scoring on the Edmonton Oilers, but Randeep on the call. Randeep Jan is going to join us in just a moment here. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Hour three of the program. Uh, Randeep Janda, color commentator on the radio, alongside Brennan Batchelor for your Vancouver Canucks, joins us at 8. At 8.30, Stan Smeal's going to join us. Canucks legend on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today we are in hour three of the program. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. To the phone lines we go. He'll be on the call tonight. It is finally Canucks game night. 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena, Canucks Oilers. Randy Janda joins us now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Randy. How are you? Gentlemen, I'm good. What's the mood like today? Are you excited? Scared? Like uneasy? What? How, how's everybody feeling? Out there? Yes, Technical. yes, like, all of those. Like Jesse yep, Spano yep. on caffeine pills, bud. We are all over Love the it. map. Yeah. Love the reference. <laughs> um, when you heard the news yesterday about Connor Garland and then everything that transpired, what was your immediate reaction? And then what was the subsequent reaction to the Connor Garland I fired my agent. I hired a new agent. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm asking for a trade, but I'm pretty clearly asking for a trade. Well, my my immediate reaction was, why did this news come out right after the Patrick Alvin scrum? Because it was perfectly timed mm. so that he didn't have to answer questions, right? Uh, so maybe there might have been a four-letter word there uh, after that news broke. But as far as um, overall, I think on Connor Garland, we've all talked about for the last year or so you know, what's the fit here? And I actually, you know, when that trade happened, when the Connor Garland aspect, I, I like him as a player in Arizona. He showed something uh, that, you know, he could play that tenacious style. He was a, a net front player in Arizona, especially in the power play. But we haven't, you know, we've seen some production from him a couple of years ago, five on five. We touted how the production was there, even though he was not getting uh, power play time. But guys, you look at this whole you know, storyline heading into the season. Um, not surprised in the sense that we kind of saw him, you know, on the third line trending in that direction. Uh, now, yeah, sure. He's on the first line to start the season. We'll see if that continues tonight, but overall guys, I, I do have a question. Is it his desire to play in Vancouver or is it basically the cap? And from everything we've heard, it might be a little bit of both. So to me, it's about, yeah, this is a weird situation heading into the earth. A little uneasy. I, I can, you know, watching that scrum being involved in it a little bit yesterday, you could tell uh, questions were asked and Connor didn't necessarily answer much, many of them. Um, so it is a, a uneasy situation heading into the year. But, you know, until he gets moved, if he gets moved, you got to play your game. And there's no better place to, you know, be playing right now than is next to Elias Patterson. He's going to have a chance to produce here. So whether it's his desire or the Canucks' desi- desire, to make this happen, um, he's found himself, at least in the short term, until Ilya Mikheyev comes back to do something here in the top line. 
to, to you know, make himself a valuable player on the Vancouver Canucks or elsewhere. How are you feeling about the team, Randy? Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of the, the structure of the team and, you know, overall, just the, the viability of lasting 82 games, it seems more real this year. It seems like, okay, if they can play similar to what they did, and I know it's a preseason game, but that last game showed us something. Mm-hmm. If they can play that style, if they can play aggressive, you know, through the neutral zone, like which they did in that third period, uh, that was an effort that impressed me based on the fact that guys like Bluger, Suter, Ian Cole, they plugged up that neutral zone and did not allow space. And I understand it's not, you know, a Calgary Flames team that's game one of the regular season, but at the same time, they looked impressive. I, I like the way that, you know, their defending at the blue line is much better than we've seen in the past. Those zone entries, when Carson Soucy's on the ice, when Ian Cole's on the ice, uh, some of those forwards that have a little bit more defensive prowess, that to me is more viable than we've seen pretty much since Chris Tanev left town. He was the only guy that would maybe deny the blue line in the past. And even when he was here, it was tough. Chris Tanev was really the only guy who could move the puck. You have more puck movers. So I start looking at the details that have been taught, and you hope that the Canucks are in a position to really you know, make those happen early on in the season. This is a tough, tough schedule. So you got to make sure that education that Rick Tockett was, you know, talking about during training, uh, training camp where he's, he's saying, yeah, we're going we're gonna to be downloading a lot of information on these guys and they have to learn. Um, I think if these guys can, you know, get going and get hit the ground running, they're in a much better, much more viable, um, you know, system essentially uh, than we've seen the last couple of years. So I'm feeling optimistic. I think they're going to be in the thick of it in terms of a wild card spot, whether they, you know, can beat out a Seattle or Calgary or one of the central teams. And, you know, that's, that's too tough to say, but I think they'll be in the, in the mix for the playoffs. You know, defending the blue line, I, I always hear that, like holding the blue line, and p- people always put that like 100% on the defenseman. It's like mm-hmm. that starts way earlier than the actual play of the blue line. If you, yeah. if you make it hard for guys to get to the neutral zone, then they can't get speed, and then it's easy for the defenseman to hold the blue line. And I just wonder if <laughs> if something that the Canucks can just like latch onto as a team is to make it really tough to get through the neutral zone. Because for me, it's like this season is about finding an identity for the Canucks, finding a game plan that they can all work together on. Because the last couple of years has kind of seemed like like pond hockey or beer league hockey at times when yeah. there's not a plan or if there is a plan, they're not following with the plan. Do you think the goal of Rick Tockett's style is almost to just like not play attractive hockey to slow it down and to play grinding kind of, I don't want to say boring, but you know, make, make the neutral zone uh, tough to play through. Like it won't look great at times, but the connects need to keep games close. I think that's very much the plan. If you start looking at, you know, the way he coached in Arizona, and I guess, you know, the players were very different there, right? They didn't have the Elias Pettersons or the JT Millers, but there's a style of hockey that he prefers. And, you know, he talks a lot about North-South. He talks a lot about uh, winning those wall battles. But that point that you mentioned about the forwards playing a huge role in really cutting down and, and taking away the speed through the neutral zone, that's why you pick up a player like Teddy Bluger. Niels Oman this year has... You know, I talk about staying power. Niels Oman is one of those guys that at the NHL level, if they play that style of hockey on that fourth line with Teddy Bluger, like he's going to be good. He's a, he's a big body, but he's also 
pretty defensively responsible. So you start looking at those types of players that are engaged, that can win, you know, battles in the neutral zone, which is something that Suter can do, something that Bluger can do, Niels Oman can do. And more than anything, they want to play winning hockey. And I don't think it necessarily means it's going to be the most attractive, but, you know, there are pieces on this team that can make it attractive. And I look at that power play and the way that they've been a lot more mobile, they're not standing still, there's a lot of switching going on. You know, that's going to be attractive. If they can get this right, I'm not saying they're going to be Tampa Bay or Edmonton, but, you know, is there a tier two of power play in the NHL that the Canucks can be? Absolutely, and that can be attractive hockey. But overall, guys, I start looking at, you know, especially that bottom six. And one thing Tockett mentioned last week was, hey, as long as those guys are out there and they're neutral, I'm okay with that. Don't be giving up opportunities. And when I look at that bottom six, sure, there's goals there. You know, Bavillier playing in the, the third line will help with that. You've got some other guys that can chip in. We've seen some hands from Teddy Bluger as well. But the role of that bottom six is going to be don't make mistakes, clamp down in the neutral zone, and do your job defensively. And that's where Pedersen, Miller, and those lines will eat when it comes to the offensive game. Um, is there a tougher opponent than the Edmonton Oilers in their first two games of the regular season in, in a very important start for the Canucks? No, no, this is the toughest competition because this is a determined, skilled team. We've heard, even going back to last May, how it's copper bust. Like, Connor McDavid said it himself in May. So this is a team that, even covering those games in the preseason, you could see players like Darnell Nurse, like, getting their extra shots in, kind of going for that late hit. This is, A, a skill team, but they are out to prove something. So, you know, this is going to be a very, very difficult start to the season. But that being said... You know, there is, that's assuming Edmonton is ready to go right off the bat. And we know sometimes rust can be a thing. So you have to be very, very careful on how you play this team. A couple of things, puck management. You know, we've talked a lot about that over the years with the Canucks. Against this Edmonton team, you cannot give up the puck anywhere, especially the neutral zone, because that transition is going to kill you. And guys, I don't have to tell you, don't take penalties against this team. 32.4% power play last year. If you take penalties, like Thatcher Demko might be the best uh, goalie in the Pacific Division. I think he is. I think he's a top five goaltender in the league when he's healthy. But he's got no chance if they're going laterally on this PK. And the PK has improved. But you got to remember, it's the Edmonton Oilers. We're talking about the greatest power play in history, and and that's why um, you know you can't do those two things. You got to take care of the puck against this team, and you can't take penalties. It's a tough, tough schedule to start, no doubt. Uh, Randeep, one, thank you very much for doing this this morning. We really appreciate it. Two, uh, enjoy the start of the regular season, another year on the job, and another game to call. We've been waiting for this for a while, and I imagine you have as well. So enjoy it tonight, bud. Thanks very much, guys, and uh, to all the listeners as well. Enjoy the hockey season and everything it brings. 82, season, 82 games is, uh, you know, it seems like a grind, but you know, as we've seen in Vancouver, it can, you know, it, it's been up and down, a lot of down, but. I think there's a lot of excitement in this market this year. So excited to cover it. Excited to uh, join you guys every now and then as well. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. That's Randy Janda here, Canucks radio analyst here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, you've heard Randy this morning. You'll hear him this evening. Puck drop is 7 o'clock. Pre, post, actual broadcast of the Canucks Oilers game. It's all right here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. All right. Let's uh, print out some what we learn submissions. Uh, because we've got Stan Smeal coming up next on the show at 8.30. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're going to do the reads, Andy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to print out the submissions. Uh, go. 
what we learned, Humanoid Edition, printout version, brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation at $200 off. Visit them online at getfireplan.com. Oh, my God! We're having a fire plan! Um, there was, I'll start, because there was about three different ones. Uh, we didn't talk about any baseball yet. I, I know that's understandable, because this is your home of the Canucks, and it is the opening of the Canucks regular season tonight, and there was a lot of anticipation and excitement about it. But to dismiss the baseball entirely, thank you to every single texter who texted in on what we learned, reminding everyone that the f- most fraudulent division in professional sports, the AL East, went 0-7 in the Major League Baseball playoffs. Yes, I saw on, uh, on Twitter today that the Blue Jays are be fl- flying a banner that says best run differential in the playoffs of AL East teams. Yeah, Trey the Gulf Island Ferry Worker was one of those. What we learned, I learned the so-called best division in baseball, that is the AL East, went 0-7 collectively in the playoffs. Yeah, the Tampa Bay Rays were like terrible. In their two games against Texas, yep. uh, I think the Jays were swept. I think Laddie with the close the, games. The Jays, yep. The Jays, yeah. the Jays kept it close. Yeah, uh, That's all you can really ask. Minnesota, for. and then the Texas Rangers went into Baltimore, and Baltimore was so excited. Like I haven't been in the playoffs for a while. Really surprising season, and Texas. Um, you know, I guess I guess Texas is hot right now. Like Texas is either like on fire Texas, or terrible. Texas so hot right now. Right. So well, the Rangers are rolling. Right. Did Texas blew apart the AL East. They took yeah. care of the Rays, and then the crazy part about sweeping the Orioles is that they did not get swept in a single series this season. This was the first sweep of the year, and it just happened. Good to timing. The most important time of the season. They won. I mean, they were the best team in the American League. They weren't just the best team in the AL East. They had 101 wins. I think a lot of people figured, at the very least, the series would be competitive. ton of one-run games, though. Sure. They won a whole whack of them, and their yeah. record was a bit inferior. I don't think... Were people, like, picking them to win the World Series? They're too young. They need to... No one was picking them to get swept, though. And Dean Creamer is their best pitcher. Yeah. Right. You know, what is that going to get you? So, the sweep means that the AL East went a combined 0-7 in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. First time since 1990 when the A's swept the Red Sox that the AL East was swept entirely. In Should also season. mention they lost their closer too, Felix Batista. That was pretty devastating. He was lights out. I believe all his year. nickname is King Felix. Yes, the yes. the original. The original King, King Felix. Felix. Rocket in Langley. What I learned is that yes, the Canucks do want to play that grinding style because, quite frankly, that's the way they have to. But still having enough talent to spring opportunities and make their goals that way. Yeah, I think the high-flying Canucks are right now not going to be the high-flying Canucks. Yeah, that's that's not the plan. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about um, the theory, at least, that if you play well defensively, that's going to help the offense because playing well defensively means you've got the puck um, and you can go on offense. Mm. It's a theory, but there's also such a thing in hockey as cheating for goals. Right, you're going to play differently when you're trailing, for example. Um, and a lot of what Rick Tockett has been preaching is game management with the Canucks. Uh-huh. And thank God, because remember last year when the Canucks would have like <laughs> a two or three goal lead, and they'd be like doing drop passes at the opponent's blue lines, and you're like, "What are you guys doing? Do I like what? What are you thinking? Managing the puck the way you are." With leads, it's no wonder they blew so many leads. Mm-hmm. Um, they will be playing 
a more conservative style. And I think they're going to try and slow the game down a lot. Mm-hmm. I know that I think you're going to see um, a lot of, for example, D to D passes. And the reason why you wouldn't want to do that is because you don't really want to wait for the other team to be able to regroup and get into position and get all five guys behind the puck. But the problem I think the Canucks have had is when they try and like force those passes quickly, mm-hmm. a lot of them have been getting picked off. So game management, managing the puck. I know Rick Tockett wants that north-south style, and that's yeah. more east-west, but it's more just about like being careful with the puck and playing to your ability. Uh, one of the reasons, like, I'm not saying all the guys will be that. Like, I hope that Philip Peronic is pushing the puck. I hope that Quinn Hughes is pushing the puck. But the other guys might have to just be like, listen, <laughs> yep. I don't want to throw the puck away here. So I'd rather control the puck and then maybe go through the neutral zone with a little bit more intent and keep the game low event. Um, Speaking of game management, as I go back into the baseball vein here, unsigned text, unsigned what we learned, which is a shame because it's a great one. This is from Gary. Hashtag WWO, what we learned. If the Phillies win the World Series, it'll be because of Bryce Harper. If the Phillies lose the World Series, it'll be because of Bryce Harper. So yesterday, (laughs) and we didn't cover this enough, we really only played the highlight, the clip of the amazing end to the Braves-Phillies game the other night. But Bryce Harper's manager, Rob Thompson, good Canadian guy, uh, he said that it was a mistake. Like, he fully came out and said, like, that that was not a player just trying to be aggressive and got unlucky. Like, it was a mistake. And the mistake was, you don't pass second base when the ball's in the air. Now, I bring this up because we talk about game management and rules that you play by. The reason that managers put in rules and plans and strategies and they tell guys where to be on the ice isn't just for that guy. It's so everybody else knows where everybody else is supposed to be and everybody else knows what the approach is. You take away the guessing and Mm -hmm. you take away that unsured nature. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Because Bryce Harper is who Bryce Harper is, which is an elite superstar caliber player, when he blows through a stop sign at third base or does something that's hyper-aggressive and goes against the plan, people tend to give him a pass because that's, you know, just Bryce is just trying to make a play and he's just trying to make a superstar play. That's just JT Miller. I mean, Bryce Harper. See? <laughs> Bryce would never yell at a teammate. Oh, yeah, no, never, 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 yeah, never, 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 another teammate. But it's, no. you know, so you take it out of the baseball sphere realm and you just put it into the generic sports conversation. It's such a, it's there's such gunslingers a, in every sport. There is. And some guys get to be gunslingers because they've earned it. Some guys are gunslingers and they haven't earned it. <laughs> like Carlton on the front. <laughs> but the thing is, is it's such a fine line. <laughs> Because in the case, like, for example, with the Canucks, in the case of Pod Colson, you'd probably say, hey, we need you to sling that gun a little bit more. We need yeah. you to be a little bit more. Did reckless. you even bring your gun today? Do you know what a gun is? Stop being so safe. Yeah. But the other side of that is, well, don't be too reckless because we have a style that we want to play and we have rules. And everything all. is balanced in life and sports. But it's not right? in like this regard. Everything is balanced. There's, there's, there's an inherent lack of fairness across the board here. It's sometimes it's not fair. Like you'll get player A will get punished for making a mistake that player B has made, mm-hmm. but player B is either an alpha 
or an all-star or has a, pr- a presence and a personality that you can't necessarily punish. Sometimes like, guys just, like, f- force that um, that attitude, right? Like, they just walk in and it's like, you know you know why I'm going to get away with this? Because I'm going to say I'm going to get away with it. Mm-hmm. And do, it do you know what I mean? Like, you know how, I mean, all I it's say, just who I am, right? Someone's are like, these are the rules. And then you reply, you're like, yeah, but rules are made to be broken. And they're like, oof, that is a good point. Yeah. They are made to be broken. Ah, that's a good point. Yeah. This guy's a gunslinger. Yeah, right? <laughs> I love it. We need that mentality. Yeah. We need guys to be more conservative. Your player has been fined for $50,000. But we also need them with personality. Like, it's it's that great double Well, I, I mean, JT Miller is a great example. Like, uh, Harm did a, did another good piece uh, on JT Miller in, uh, in The Athletic. And, like, I always fall for JT Miller quotes. Love right? Like, JT. like, I love, like, JT Miller can, like, like, he can sweet talk me with quotes like this. The game is a very sensitive place these days and turning into a more of a self-aware ego style of game. Everybody is a good player nowadays. Everybody's skilled. You see the same you see the stuff guys are trying on the ice. The game is a very look at me game. For me, it's a lost art to quote unquote give an F. Mm. And sometimes you show it differently. Right? Like that's speaking to like boomer bruff that mm. like misses the 80s style of, you know, games where it seemed like it really did matter. I don't mean to start anything, to but players. is he talking about any of his teammates perchance with that quote? Oh, Andy. <laughs> Well, maybe, but the other thing too is like I recognize, Open and like, night, baby. so I put this out on Twitter, and I knew I was going to get blowback. When you are a gunslinger, and when you have as part of your brand, when it's part of your brand, like I care, and the reason sometimes I yell at myself, or more importantly, the reason sometimes I yell at my teammates is because I just care so much. People are like, well, then you should back check. Yeah. Right? Like, that is, then play like you care, right? Like, because it's easy. You know what's easy? Yelling. I do it every day. That's why I have such a great job. It's easy for me to come in and yell. You know what's not easy? You know what's not easy? You've been out there for a minute and a half. You're trying to score. You turn the puck over, and you're like, oh, God, I got to back check now. And it's the end of the game, and I'm already bagged. That's not easy. Uh, Ryan and Ladner with the What We Learned. Hashtag WWO What We Learned. Ryan writes, I learned while watching the Hawks-Pens game that Connor Bedard is the NHL's version of Taylor Swift. Camera goes to him on the bench after literally anything happens on the ice. So there's a lot of um, very typical, I think it was probably a vocal minority, but a lot of people that were like, ha, ESPN, it's all Connor Bedard. They're forcing Connor Bedard down our throat. There's too much Connor Bedard. This is how the American media marketing machine works. This is how ESPN works. There's a this reason. This is what people have been saying that the NHL needs to do more of. Don't don't push back against this. Do not. There's a reason that he was in his car with his seatbelt on, on the Pat McAfee show. It wasn't because Pat McAfee was going... They, someone booked him on Pat McAfee's show. And I think someone told Pat McAfee to wear this sleeveless Pittsburgh Penguins jersey. And... And he's like, I'll, I'll wear the jersey. The hockey they told him the jersey part. Yeah. The sleeveless yeah. was his. I'll idea. wear the jersey. I ain't wearing the sleeves. Yeah. Does he do all of his interviews standing up? I've noticed yes. that's, a, yeah. that's yeah. a thing with He's him. got his own thing. So you, what you've got to understand is that in some instances, the media personalities on some of these networks are larger than the athletes that they cover. Stephen A. Smith would be a perfectly good example. What ESPN has under this gigantic umbrella is the ability to cross-promote. It's a good thing. Don't recoil against it. Mm-hmm. Don't don't fight back. 
Just let it happen. Let them market a star for the first time in a long time. Right? Yes, Greg. How do you feel now that a child born on July 17th, 2005 is playing in the NHL? Older than usual. 2005 is facing off against Sidney Crosby. I saw a clip of, a, I think it was a USL team. I want to see Sacramento that handed a young player his professional debut the other week. That young player was 13 years old. How do you do? I have no idea. I mm. immediately shut down the computer. Seems a little young. I, I closed young. the computer and I threw it in the garbage. All right, we got to go. Stan Smeal is going to join us next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The game underway with Kurt Fraser dumping the puck into the Calgary zone. A tip to the right in front for on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 3 of the program. Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. I cannot think of a better way to kick off the Canucks 2023-2024 regular season, which begins tonight, 7 o'clock Rogers Arena. You can hear the call right here, Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. No better way to start than by speaking with a true Canucks legend. Joining us now on the program, Stan Smeal here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Stan. How are you? I'm very well, gentlemen. Like you said, uh, great day. uh I know a lot of people have been waiting for this day, the, the hockey season, obviously. Chell and us going tonight, it's a very exciting time. A lot of changes within the organizations, a lot of changes within the personnel, uh, a lot of changes with uh, the players and the number, you know, from last year to this year. So, yeah, it's a really exciting time uh, for everyone. Well, speaking of changes within the organization, let's start right there because recently it was announced that you're going to take a step back from daily duties with the club and shift into more of a team ambassador role. Uh, why the decision? Why now, Stan? It was time. Um, I think, uh, first of all, I think you're the first one that says I haven't retired, um, which I've had a lot of people, you know, texting me and, and, and congratulating me and, you know, welcome to retirement and enjoy it. Uh, I'm not retiring at this time. I'm just moving over in a different position within the organization. And uh, I think um, uh, the last few years have, uh, for me, uh, have been a challenge personally, and Mm -hmm. it was just time to to move on. And now I'm just looking forward to the, you know, the new opportunity that I'll be going into and and accept that role. Um, I, I look at just, I guess for me and you guys, you know, we went through it a, a few years ago when um, uh, I was an interim GM for, you know, five days. Um, and just some of the things I remember what I said was, you know, we don't have an identity. Uh, uh, and that was really important for me. We didn't have a direction. Um, we didn't have a plan at that time. And I feel very comfortable that there is a plan, there is a direction. And we just have some young new people within our office, talented people. Um, 
And um, I think it's time for other people to have that opportunity and show what they can do. Um, uh, so uh, 45 years, I've, I've done many things within the organization and really enjoyed it. Um, this fan base here in the province in BC and the lower mainland has just been so wonderful to be part of it. And uh, I'm going to be a part of it for the next few years also. Stan, what can the identity of this team be? You know, for me, at the end of the day, like if you take a look at the game in general over the years, you know, I've been thinking like over the last 45 years, the biggest thing that I've seen change within is just the game. The game has changed into a business. And, And I think... You see now the talent in a lot of these players, um, and you need that talent to win. But you also have to have an identity of how hard you are to play against. And, and that comes from every individual. And I just don't feel, you know, two, three years we were that. We were just too easy to play against. Mm-hmm. I was an opponent coming in and taking a look at our lineup. You want pushback, not 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 only pushback. For me, is I want to see initiate. I want players to initiate. You don't wait around as the game develops. You're good at what you do. Go out and initiate it. That's how you win hockey games, and that is the identity I want to see this team have. Is it harder these days to bring a team together? Yes. Um, that's really interesting, that part of it. And how do you bring a team together? You know, do you, you know, you, you want to, you know, have those character players or that identity and, and that. Um, how do you do that? Do you bring one or two players in? Does that change it? It it doesn't just take one or two players. For me, it has to come from upstairs, and I mean the management side. You want to have a true identity. It starts there, and this is the way we're going to run as a pro team. This is the way what we expect from the players, and then it filters down to the players. The players know what to expect of this organization coming in here and what it truly is to be a Canuck. And that's where it starts. And I think, well, I think I know we're going in that direction, getting back to where we were before. Um, But it starts with the management and it goes down to the players. What truly is, is a Canuck. So when you look back on, on, on your playing history with the Canuck stand, like why did you care so much? I think it's just, it's something. I loved playing the game. I loved winning. I knew what it took to win because I was fortunate to come in at a young age. I left home when I was 13 and I went to play in uh, with the Bellingham Blazers. I was protected by the Regina Pats uh, when I was 13. They, they, they could just protect anyone. And so I was protected sure. by the Regina Pats. And then Punch McLean saw something in me and he brought me out to Bellingham, made the trade. And when you 
play, you start playing at a junior level, you know, you're playing to win, you have the goal to make it to the NHL. And I think, you know, we want our, uh, we want the BC uh, Hockey League. Um, my second year there, uh, then we, I was fortunate enough to go with the New Westminster Bruins and you guys know the, the winning history there and really what it takes. And, and if you take a look at the teams, even in New West, uh, their first year, I, I, I was in Bellingham and got called up, but the, my last year that we wanted, we shouldn't have won it. We were lucky just to make playoffs. But we had the leadership group that had been there before of what it takes to win. And you never lose that. It is, it is damn hard to win any sort of championship. And you know what it takes, the grind that when you get in there, uh, and that experience and, and, and that just grows with you as a human being for me. And I've always been competitive, whatever I've done. Um, and I think when you install winning in that, it, that's where, Stan, this is a bit of a funny question, but I kind of do wonder about it. Was it easier to come together as a team when you had things like bench clearing brawls and line brawls and you're all out there fighting for each other? I'm looking at some of your penalty minutes. I'm like, you scored, you know, 35 goals for the new Westminster Bruins in 72 games. You also spent 200 minutes in the penalty box. Like you could have had a lot more if you didn't spend like what, five combined games in the penalty box. I'm just wondering if like... The lack of these types of games where things devolve and, you know, like you're in a big punch up makes it harder to like bond. Or is that a very old school way of thinking about it and something that just doesn't that's, exist anymore? Yeah, that's that was really part of the game. Just that that part of the game, you know, like I was fortunate enough to came into a uh, uh, environment in Westminster and intimidation was a big part of the game. And. And as much as the penalty minutes and, and the reputation that we had, um, um, there was a fine line that you have to walk that you have to score to win also. Um, as for the physical part of it, uh, that was just the game then. And I had to survive to be able to handle myself. I was, mm-hmm. you know, five foot eight. Um, and the only way I was going to survive, if I stood up for myself. So I learned that as I, as I went through my career, um, and, and you know, what those sort of incidents really do bond a group because you're with them every day, especially at the junior level, you're with them every day, practice, uh, going to school, not going to school and, so you really bond and those little things make a real difference. But I think in today's game, um, I, I think that bonding comes, comes from every individual knowing their role. And like I said earlier, initiate, don't wait around. Every, your teammates know and what to expect out of you. Um, you know, we can't rely on, you know, Pedersen and him doing his thing every night or Quinn Hughes doing his thing every night. You have a certain role. And I know every player has been through, you know, whatever, you know, through uh, minor hockey and junior and to get where they, they're at, they're they played at that high level and they were probably played in the top six. Well, you're not, as you go, Players get better and players get better. I think once you understand your role a little bit more, then go out and do it. And I think when you're initiating more, 
that's where you can get the team building, team bonding, because when you're initiating, you're upsetting the other team. You know, you're doing things that, mm-hmm. that pushing and shoving start a little bit more, you know, and that, so I think that's important to bond because in my day, you just don't see that anymore in, 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 uh, as, as a player. We're speaking to Stan Smeal here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Canucks are in action tonight, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. You can hear it right here on Sportsnet 650. Stan, as a former longtime captain of this club, what did you think when you heard that the mantle was going to be passed to the new captain of the team? You just mentioned his name, Quinn Hughes. I was really excited and it did not surprise me. Um, um, Quinn, um, it's really interesting at training camp. I went over for a couple of days and I actually was walking in Victoria after one of our team meals and, um, and uh, Quinn and, and Petey were just sitting on a bench in one of the streets in Victoria that's closed off and called me over and we just had a talk. And it's really the first time I've had a real talk to them, uh, both of them as individuals. But I really respect him because not only from that night and what he, you could really hear his his passion and caring about uh, being a Canuck and, and moving forward of what he has to do and all that. But Quinn Hughes, as you know, was a high, high draft pick, but he didn't come in here with that uh, mentality of, well, I'm a first rounder. I got to play this minutes. I got to do this. I got to do that. No, I, I'm running the first power play. Quinn Hughes came in to this organization and getting, watching people and respecting people all around him, how they handled certain sort of situations he's a quiet individual um and and he respected his teammates and i think now he's getting to the point that he has seen enough of what he has to do as a player but more so how he's going to be a captain and how to get the best out of all his teammates because of just sitting back and and listening and learning and 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 just i i think just being quiet about it, um, and, and and that now he knows. Now he'll speak when he thinks he has to speak, and, and it's not always being a raw, raw captain. It's it's going out there uh, at the end of the day and being good at what you're at, and not any, anything else affects you as a player. And I think Quinn Hughes has, has has learned that over the last few years. Stan, can you tell us a little bit more about what you were talking about on? On that park bench in Victoria, were they asking you for you for advice? Were you giving them advice, or was it just a friendly chat about day to day things? Just a friendly chat about day to day things. Players I played, the uh, you know, they asked about uh, you know uh, Trevor Linden and Pavel Bure and uh, who's the best Canuck, and obviously I said number twelve, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, they had, they asked about the flying V and <laughs> and just. It's just a number of things that was really interesting sitting there talking to, um, and that. So um, that that was that was the conversation, and um, nothing more than that. Do you ever look back on things like where you came from? You grew up in Alberta. You came to play um, for the Bellingham Blazers when you were what fourteen or fifteen, or maybe you mentioned thirteen. Then you played with. You never left BC. And 
Do you ever, and then you worked for the Canucks, uh, you know, do you ever think about where your journey has taken you? As, you know what, um, you, you don't, as a player, you kind of, because you're just enjoying and, and playing and, and doing that, and then, uh, so you, you really, I, I didn't really kind of sit back and say, oh, this is a great career, because I got into the coaching part of it, management part of it, but now, as especially for the last five years, you're kind of sitting back and, and saying where you came from and, and, you know, from Northern Alberta, coming out to Bellingham, Washington, I'm just going, wow. <laughs> you know, from the flat prairies to the mountains and, the, you know, the scenery here in, in, on the West Coast is just stunning. I says, wow, this is a nice place to live. Uh, and I would like to, you know, that'd be nice in the future, but never, never, ever thought I'd, you know, make a great living out of it for 45 years. And especially in in one city, in one province, you know, I, I've gone coaching, you know, in, in Syracuse and Kansas City and Winnipeg, but this is always going to be home. And I just kind of fell in love with it when I was 13, when I came out here and, and I got to watch the Canucks early, you know, obviously, you know, um, BCTV broadcast, you know, so many games and I was able to watch them there. And then in U.S. Punch was able to get us into the games for free in the standing room sections and was able to watch them there. And I, I when I did go watch them, I, I did go back when I went back to my Billets place in U.S. I did say, I can help this team. I can make this team. It's, it's funny, those little things in your mind that you have to, I think, go through to be successful. Um, but Boy, you know what? I never ever thought when I first came out at 13 and I'm 65 now that I'd still be here. I honestly don't, but I am the luckiest person in the world because this is the best province, best team to play for. Well, you know, I want to bring up another small piece of history here because you mentioned the Flying V jersey. So this is courtesy of Jason Beck, who runs the BC Sports History account. This day, October 11th, 1978, the Vancouver Canucks debuted the Flying V sweaters in an 8-2 win over the Colorado Rockies. On the score sheet that day, <laughs> the Rockies were forced to move after that. A young 21-year-old <laughs> yeah. forward named Stan Smeal got an assist on Kurt Fraser's goal to make it 4-0. So there you go. Everything's tied back in to opening night all those years ago. Hey, Stan, this was great. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the season. And enjoy this new role as a team ambassador. Well, I really appreciate uh, giving me this time, you guys. I always enjoy listening to you guys when I drive into uh, into the games uh, in the, or you know, to our morning skates or practices. I won't be going to as many practices in morning skates now, so I might have to miss a couple of your shows. That's, but that's fine. All Sleep right. in, Stan. Sleep in, Stan. You <laughs> deserve it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, all is good. So I really appreciate you guys, and thank you. Thank you, Stan. We appreciate it as well. That's Stan Smeal, Canucks legend here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. If that doesn't get you fired up, listeners, mm-hmm. for the game tonight. Well, I hope it gets the Canucks fired up, too. If they're not listening, and if you're yeah. not listening, if you're not fired up, I'm ready to run through a brick wall. Can I just say that, yeah. was, that was awesome? That was so good. Look, he cares, he man. Cares. He, cares. he cares. That's that's all we want. Yeah, It's all we want. Care. Well, uh, wins are nice. He cares well, wins, enough to wins. listen to this show. And expected a good, goals. I love and a good PK. Goals, yeah, right? Like, right. just care. Just care. Stan played for some like bad teams in the eighties. Yeah, 
but not as bad as the Colorado Rockies. His 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 passion level was was always there. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people are probably rolling their eyes. It's like, all you want them to do is care. I'm like, that's a first step. Mm-hmm. Right. You got to care. Well, you know, have, okay. have an identity. And I loved what he said, like initiate. Yeah. Initiate. So don't be passive. Don't don't feel your way into games like you can play aggressive defensive hockey like the trap. People are saying, are the Canucks going to trap it up? Like, well, maybe like I hope not. But there's a difference between trapping, which is almost like welcoming a team to break out and then kind of trapping them along the boards when they're trying to come in. You're like, you're like hurting them. The trap is like hurting a team into a smaller area and then you check them. It's a trap. We're talking about like be aggressive through the neutral zone. So if you're a forward and a guy's carrying the puck, get after him. Like you might not catch him. But you don't want to get them, let them go like straight line speed through the neutral zone, and then the defensemen are back there trying to hold the blue line going. Like it's a lot harder when they're coming full speed at you. From yeah, like, you that's see- the type. That's just that's hockey, right? It's not trapping. It's it's hockey. Compete through the neutral zone. Compete everywhere on the ice. From what you've seen from Rick Tockett as a head coach so far, do you think he'd be more inclined to be a little more aggressive or be one of those risk averse type coaches? Feels like a little bit more risk averse. You think he's on that side of the risk of first? By, think, by I, that, I mean, if they put it this way, if he had the choice between a high event game and a low event game, he's taking low event. How much of that is the lineup that's given to him, though? And how much of that I think, is I don't his think choice? It's, I don't think he's making a lot of decisions based on his personnel. I think he wants his personnel to play a certain style. Mm-hmm. I think it's risk averse relative to last season. I don't know. Where I think the, it's just risk averse, period. Yeah, but a lot of it is just in response. Like sometimes you really have to be like, hey, guys, the way you were playing last year. You know, like that was crazy. That last, was like you were at the roulette table and last, just like betting on everything. Last right? year, last year was winning averse, not like risk averse. You like, also hey, didn't have a goalie that could play a risk averse. Well, it was common oh, sense yeah. averse. Yeah, like it was like, it was what are you guys averse. doing? Four one lead. Let's try this drop pass at the blue line. What was your style of play averse? Can you be uh, risk averse and still initiate, like Stan was saying? Like, can those things be as one? Because they kind of sound like. Opposed sometimes. Risk averse sounds like you're just standing there waiting for an you can opponent mani- to make a mistake. You can but- manage the game and still be aggressive at the I'm gonna same be, time. I'm going to be honest, though. I don't think risk versus reward and up-tempo versus low-tempo is the real thing here. I think the thing that Tockett needs to see, and I talked about this with someone in a totally different sporting realm, but I'm like, you'd be amazed at the highest level when you think it comes down to a lot of sophisticated approaches. It's like, we just need to win more battles. We just need to win more. That's how we're going to win this game is we just win more one-on-one medals. They can be on the boards. They can be in the corners. They can be in a fight. But what it comes down to isn't coaching. It's do you have the will to beat a guy or are you willing to make more sacrifices than the other guy in those moments? And I think that's the biggest thing talk is trying to get through to this team. It's like it's not about playing Plinko and making a decision that's going to net us a neutral result 51% of the time. It's if there's a puck on the wall, and our guy and their guy go in for it. How badly do you want it? Well, is our guy going to come out the majority of the time? Because that's what they don't do right now enough, and he mm-hmm. wants them to do it more. That's my So thought. it's the Vancouver Canucks and the Edmonton Oilers tonight. Uh, there's been a long offseason, yet another long offseason. We've had all sorts of debates about this team. Uh, there have been times when we're like, oh, it's going to be bad again. There have been times where we've been like, yeah, maybe. Maybe it'll be okay. We're going to start finding out tonight. Mm -hmm. The Vancouver Canucks, the Edmonton Oilers at Rogers Arena. 
Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to coming in tomorrow and talking about it. In 1978, they beat the Colorado Rockies 8-2. That's the bar for tonight, everybody. I don't want to say it's too high, but I'm just really excited about tonight. Enjoy the rest of the day. Keep it right here on Sportsnet 650. This is your home of the Canucks. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about the game. Signing off for now, I have been Mike Alford. He's been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog. He's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.